1: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Old Lady Speaks on black and white and red all over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 23, the, wait for it, the Marco Borello episode. And who can forget (laughs) Marco Borello scoring actually one of the most important goals of the early Scudetto run. So thank you, Marco Borello. This week's episode, obviously, we've got a whole lot to talk about as compared to last week when it was an international break. We've got a good game against Dinamo Kiev coming off a not so good game against Crotone. And uh, let's start there and let me bring in the guys first. Sam Lopressi. Hello, Sam. How are you today, Danny? I'm doing all right. We've got Chucks. Hello, Chucks.
0: Hey, good evening, lads. Uh, Marco Bogiello probably had the best haircut, cleanest cut haircut in a typical Italian fashion. He's a very kind of player.
1: He a very handsome man. We will
2: yeah. definitely say. between him and Alessandro Matri, we had some damn good hair that yeah. year.
0: Yeah. yeah, get that, get that commercial. Head and Shoulders, get that commercial.
1: <laughs> Speaking of a guy with a nice head of hair, Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio.
3: Thanks. I appreciate the the compliment there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's fun because that that Boreola comment, like it just it makes you think how many like remembered that guys we've had like across the years that weirdly have contributed like because he actually did contribute like an important goal there like I always think back to Simone Sasa scoring that that goal against Napoli that <laughs> one season where like that was the biggest moment of his career and then he was out of Juventus the next season but it's just like it's crazy how many like random guys have made contributions to to keep this streak going
1: it is, it is very much a, a a who's especially those early years where you had Beppe Morota with the random loan deals and Co-ownership and everything is very much a who's who of remember that guy. So, as I said, two games to talk about this week. And we will start off kind of comparing, contrasting, I guess, the the not so good and the pretty good. And I'll start with Sergio since he, in his grab bag this week, I think he had a really good comparison for the, the Dinamo game is that it was very allegory like in the fact of how Juventus to steal a line from Chucks managed the game. And also just kind of the overall performance where it wasn't great, but it wasn't so terrible either. And since Sergio is one to embrace Juventus' conspiracy corner, as, as one of our, our loyal commenters, Del Piero's girl, mentioned in the comments in the game thread, did Juventus dress like Dinamo Kiev's arch rival Shakhtar Donetsk with the orange uniforms to throw them off their game? Sergio, what say you? I mean, why not?
3: I I, I always love the conspiracy corner. Plus, Shakhtar Donetsk, like, noted powerhouse Shakhtar Donetsk, who just beat Real <laughs> Madrid three two. That's right. Like earlier today, so, you know, maybe we got some mojo there for them. But, but yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was uh, all the time while I was watching the game. I was thinking like, this is a very much like twenty sixteen performance from Juventus, which is just like nothing too flashy. Just overall. I don't want to say dominating because it's not dominating, just like in control. Like Dinamo Kiev at, at no point ever looked like they were going to threaten the, the goal, Juventus goal. You know, they, they kind of really managed the game very well and they had a few chances in the first half. They obviously, you know, scored two in the second half and, and unlike we've seen in, in other matches, even this season, but especially last season, they never looked like they were in danger of, of like losing that lead. Like, Again, you know, Dinamo Kiev is not the, you know, the the top of the cream there in, in the Champions League. But still, I think they're a better team than than Croton, for example. And Croton actually, you know, they they had a lot of dangerous chances. Like, it wasn't, you know, it, it's not the same case exactly because, you know, Juventus were a man down against Croton. But still, I, I just, it, it really made me, it was encouraging to see because even though it wasn't as flashy, for example, again, like, like the Sampdoria win that started the season, it was a much more just control. They controlled the pace of the game. They controlled how the game went. When they wanted to to go back and cede the possession to Dina Kiev, as they did in the last few minutes, they did that. And when they wanted to have the possession and go forward, they did that as well. So it was just overall a very good win, I would say, at a tricky you know place to go play, especially after the the Croton game, which was a bit of a letdown you know so so yeah i think very very workmanlike very very maxleggri to me that that's kind of how how it would resume you know that that game
0: yeah I do agree overall uh, with you Sergio I think it was definitely not a spectacular win against uh dynamo kiev i think uh, Dinamo Kiev did, did have some spells where they Caught some momentum and they did have some attacking moves that look look promising and then you know they'll lose the ball but then they'll kind of get it back again quickly and then put another attack you know that type of like attacking momentum where it's like you uh, they keep losing the ball and then man they keep losing the ball like this and it's only one nil like at the time it was only one nil you know you feel a little bit like. Okay, one mistake could mess up the game. And that's the thing about, you know, one nil games, like especially one nil away games at places like Dinamo Kiev, it's like okay, you can be in control of the match and be a goal ahead, but all it takes is one freak instant, one deflected free kick uh that lands at the you know, feet of the striker and then it just gets banged in and it's it's an equalizer. So I was still a little wary of that until Mogata's well, second goal. Uh, Then, obviously, then I was, you know, (laughs) at ease. But still, when we were 1-0 ahead, I was not entirely at ease. Plus, I thought the first half was not particularly good. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, okay, we didn't concede. Well, okay, we didn't concede. (laughs) But then we also didn't concede really clear-cut opportunities against Dynamo Kiev. I mean, I think Chesney had that one save late in the second half, later-ish in the second half from a pretty decent shot uh, from, uh, well, I obviously forget which player it was. But, yeah, I mean, Chesney didn't have really anything to do. So, in terms of clear-cut opportunities, okay, that was good. We didn't really concede any ground there. But in terms of, you know, a few opportunities, few bits of momentum that we did kind of let them we, – we gave them a bit too much hope sometimes. Like, oh, okay, it's only 1-0. Hey, if we keep going and, like, keep just string a few passes together, we could maybe – Car something out here. So, you know, I wasn't overly pleased with that. But at the end of the day, it was definitely an improvement from uh, the Coton game. Overall, pretty well managed game, but um, you know, I'm not I'm not like over the moon like, oh great, now all the issues from Coton and Roma are resolved. There are still definitely um issues to uh resolve and you know definitely still work to be done. But overall like just a cautious uh yeah cautious satisfaction with the Kiev game and you know off to Barcelona we go.
1: What is that? Some optimism from Chucks?
0: Oh, cautious. <laughs> cautious. <laughs> Don't play your hand, Mister Penza. Oh
2: boy. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, first off, it was that shot that you were talking uh, that you were talking about, the Chesney saved towards the end. That was Sergey Sidorchuk. Oh, look uh, at you showing off. Wait, actually, really. <laughs> <laughs> say that three times. Uh, that was times. a really nice. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually a really good save by Chesney too. I'm actually with you on this one, Chucks. There was, I mean, for the most part, the game really was under control, but there was a period of about 15 minutes from about the 70th minute up until Morata scored where I was really starting to get uneasy. Whereas when we were up 1-0 before we added the last two goals against Sampdoria, in, at which point I never really felt like the lead was in danger. Those 15 minutes where we really started to bend a little bit, that had me worried and ha- had me thinking we need this second goal, which duly came, thankfully. But to that to that effect, what you said, Sergio, about this being Allegri-like, I think it was very Allegri-like in the fact that the team started to drop back a little bit way too early, which is something that uh, that I hope doesn't become a habit. The... The biggest, the biggest thing to me about the game was it, the way that the attack kind of. It didn't flow very well. It was a little bit chaotic. You know, you had guys, especially uh, the midfielders. Rabio was more guilty of this than Bentancur, but Bentancur did his fair share of this too. Just kind of spraying passes that were not necessarily precise and you know, would give the ball away and then they'd recover, you know, somebody would recover like Rabió seemed like he was recovering a ball every five minutes and then do the exact same thing. And there were a couple of times where two or th- two or even three different players were attacking the same space. And that just killed the, killed a move because all of a sudden you're in way too much traffic. Obviously that's a- the kind of thing that will, you hope will iron out with time because again, we're looking at a situation where Pirlo had one friendly to start installing things. This is still very much in the, the forming phase, but it's something that you want to look for improvement on later because, you know, some of the, some of those giveaways, passing giveaways, if we had been playing Barcelona on Tuesday would have been punished and punished hard. But overall, I thought that it was I, I used the phrase in my in my recap workmanlike a very workmanlike win a good way to start Pirlo's Champions League career off and I am like I I challenge every person who was doubting Alvaro Morata and saying that oh uh, and, and lamenting the fact that we didn't get Jako or or Suarez to line up for your crow. Because Alvaro Morata is, is, I mean, it, it, he's. You can tell just he's happy. He's con. He he looks pretty confident right now, and I think he's he's just deliriously happy to be back at Juventus, and he can lead. And it's looking like he can lead this line if he needs to. And you know, we were talking when he was signed about how, you know, he was going to be. He was signed not being expected to be the man but he's also showing right now that it looked like if he needs to be he could be the man and and I think that that's great I just it's been it these last two games have been a real joy watching him play and all of a sudden just start looking like he was that peak of form like in the beginning of his end of his first season beginning of his second with Juve that front line you know Hunter said it early that attacking front that we have any combination that we can throw up there is going to be scary if they get the right service, and Morata is just proving that over and over.
0: Man, those are uh, ambitious words there about Morata. Hope, uh, hope you don't get crucified in the comments for that. <laughs> Which uh, you know, everybody's always lo- looking for a good, a good, uh, good fight, a sparring battle with uh, people. I
2: welcome there. it. <laughs>
0: I, they didn't oh, come I'm after. They didn't oh. come
1: after. They didn't come after you for your cat. So you know, I you know. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> my my cat doesn't yeah, well, the score. Well, a lot
2: cuter than
0: me. <laughs> my cat doesn't score uh, goals in the Ukraine, so. <laughs> in, in cold Ukraine. <laughs> but no, on Mogata's note, on on that note about Mogata, rather, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's it is very good to have a the actual number nine. I mean, we had Iguain, of course, but. With Iwain leaving, and I said this, I think, in a preseason kind of discussion, I said that Murata was indeed going to be one of the more important players at the front line because he's really the only center forward. We have, like, emphasis on center forward. You know, he's really the only one that's, like, you know, he's going to put in headers. And I mean Ronaldo as well. But, like, he's the only one that's going to be really specifically at the end of crosses and really going to be in the box and, you know, doing number nine stuff. I mean that said I still um still a little reluctant to to consider Morata like a player that will carry a team. I don't I don't you know I don't think we, he will like necessarily carry a team very much. I mean but then again that's why you have like Ronaldo and Divala and stuff like they'll create that type of magic and that kind of more uh, initiative and Morata hopefully will be in the end of it, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to kind of go back to something you said about at some point there were, like, multiple players in the same space or, like, attacking the same space. So, actually, it's funny. I actually didn't see – I only saw parts of the game because, A, my stream was bad, and, B, could you believe it? They were showing Zenith against Club Brewer on TV instead of the Juve
2: game. Can you believe that? I was, absolutely infuriated i was like are you serious yeah, cbs did not cover themselves in glory in on the stream like the uva stream didn't show up a link to the uva stream didn't show up for on cbs all access until like five minutes into the game they did not cover themselves in glory starting this their champions league coverage yeah. off
0: oh man I was, I was yeah i was furious man but anyway so um you know i listened to uh what is actually pretty nice—it's uh, the UEFA um, radio commentary, basically, which is honestly uh, is very good. It, it kind of brings you back to the days of you know, if you know, if we are of that age, but of listening to radio, and it, it is quite nice, you know, listening to sports radio commentary. It's 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 a very different experience, and it's uh, yeah, it, I, I do really recommend it. Just kind of try listening to the radio uh, commentary of a game uh, once. But anyway, the commentator I think it was uh, Andy Brassel, which is uh, such a great name, Andy Brassel. <laughs> if you're listening, Andy, you're the man. But he, he mentioned something that when Dybala came on, that him and Ramsey were essentially playing in that same space of like, just kind of, sort of ish in a Tequatista position, which even though like Ramsey wasn't really supposed to, and yeah, you know, I don't know if that was just one instance. And, you know, Brassel. he was saying this, he, he said, you know, he wasn't sure if that was just one instance or if that was just kind of tactical miscommunication where Ramsey didn't realize, okay, you're supposed to be kind of central midfield now and let Di run that space behind Morata and just behind front, the front line. But yeah, the, what you said there, that just reminded me of that, you know, that kind of duplication there of like, hey, you guys are attacking the same space. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think it was like, just a pragmatic, pragmatic victory. Although I'm just always faced with that dilemma of like, you know, you mentioned, okay, we sat back too early. It's always that dilemma of, okay, you're one nil ahead. Do you, if you go forward in search of a second goal, you might look naive or like too gung ho in like going forward. But then again, if you sit back, you're just kind of inviting like, that lack of urgency is just inviting the opposition to be like, well, it's only one goal, so why not try it? go for it? And it, I don't know. I, I never really know what – like, I can see both criticism, both sides of criticism, and I just – I don't know. I can never really decide on what point to do. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I see definitely – I see the, the, the annoyance with sitting back too much and too early. But then again, I can also see people being annoyed with, like, you know, if you're one nil head, throwing six men forward in attack and just like you know, letting the defense, uh, leaving the defense out to dry.
1: Well, that was one of the things under Sorry, correct, where he basically said, "We don't want to kind of sit on a one and We we want more goals, and obviously, yeah, more goals attempted to be scored led to more goals being allowed. Yeah. So,
0: yeah,
3: I think it's one of those things that's definitely like 2020. You know, hindsight, hindsight, because. It's like, if, if they go full in for the attack and they get another goal, then they're like, oh, they're a relentless team. Like, they'll just go right for the neck. And if they drop back and, and they actually keep the lead, then they're like a super defensive team. Like, they, they know how to manage a game and manage a lead. But, you know, if, if the opposite happens, like, then they get crucified. You know, I think it's one of those things that you just, you have to know what you have in your team. And and to me, I I I, I think that, the moment they kind of like gave the initiative back to Dinamo, I, I think it wasn't, I think it was good. I think as well. And it actually ended up working because they get that second goal on that counterattack after they gave kind of like Dinamo Kiev a little bit of more of like leeway. So, you know, but we could also be, you know, sitting here and talking about, you know, oh, they allowed the goal and now we're like back from Kiev with a tie and, you know, sound the alarms. So it's always kind of like a, one of those things that it definitely depends on the results, but, Overall, I think they played a good game and, and, you know, just kind of like if you wanted to finish this conversation about streams, there's a lot of bad things about living in Latin America. I will say that, but there's one really great thing and that is that every single Champions League game is like broadcasted either on ESPN Deportes or in Fox Sports Latin America. Every single, like you'd never miss a game. Like it's the best thing. That's awesome. So you don't really have to rely on Body streams, or whether or not CBS decides that you know another game is more important, so that that's great. That's that's peak stuff. That's why I hardly ever miss a game because of that.
0: You know, it's funny. I actually read about that. Uh, that I think, or, yeah, I think Facebook got the rights for Copa Libertadores uh, games, if I'm not mistaken, and they they're yeah they're they're streaming all the games, and like it really pissed a lot of people off because like internet streams aren't reliable like, as reliable there as they are, you know, in, like, Europe and U.S. and stuff. And it, like, really annoyed a lot of
1: people.
3: Not only do they do that, they have, like, Facebook actually has the rights for, like, a, a handful of Champions League matches. Mm. So, for example, today they had they had Atletico against Bayern Munich with what with, with a walloping that was. But, but they actually broadcasted that through Facebook, which is, like, I mean, you really, you're just going to see football all over here in Latin America, which is really nice, at least for me.
1: At least for me, <laughs> he's the only one who lives in Latin America.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming they do it for me exclusively. So you know, I'm, I'm
0: happy they do that.
1: Obviously, one of the the big things that we're waiting on ahead of the Barcelona game is to whether Cristiano Ronaldo will actually be available. As of recording, we haven't heard anything in terms of a, a negative or you know he's still still positive, but. At least for now, we'll assume that there's no Ronaldo since we haven't heard anything to the contrary. But how are you guys feeling knowing that Barcelona beat our favorite Ferran How did I do with that, Chucks? Did I do okay? Try again. Try again? I'm not going to try again. <laughs> but Barcelona got a pretty convincing win on the first day of, of their group stage. And then obviously Juventus did what they did in Ukraine, but... How are we feeling going into, obviously, the first big, big game of the season, knowing that Juventus injuries, COVID, whatever, are probably not going to be full strength unless we suddenly hear something from Juventus within like the next 24 hours or so.
2: It's going to be very interesting. I mean, having Barcelona having to dip into their – Center back depth a little bit for this game is going to be interesting on the other side because Gerard Pique got sent off for a really stupid foul that was con- totally unnecessary. But if there's one place where Barca really does kind of get shaky, it is as you go down that center back depth chart. Morata, Dybala, I ass- I'm assuming Dybala will end up starting that game, but you know anybody else that's in attack, that's going to be a, t- a place to target. But I think. I think Juve is going to have to be if, – if, if you want to come out of that game with a win, pragmatism is going to have to be the rule here because I do think that you know, Barcelona are far closer to full strength. Lionel Messi exists. And this, this teenage kid of theirs, uh, Ansu, Fati, right? Ansu Fati. Ansu Fati is extraordinary. Like this, we're looking, I think we're kind of looking at Mbappe 2.0 with this guy and he's going to be difficult to contain. It's actually a little upsetting. I mean, as the the, the days and the games go by, I find myself wondering more and more where the heck Alexandro is because I'd like to have him out there for for defensive purposes out on the wing in a game like this because i don't necessarily trust juan and chiesa as wingbacks in in a scenario against barcelona even a barcelona that's a lot less stable than than it has been in the past this is going to be a tough one i wouldn't mind just coming out with a draw to be totally honest it's, it, it, I think this is going to be a more, you know, and, and it's hysterical because last week here we were talking about, uh, about how close cr- close run these games were going to be, and then the Ronaldo COVID news broke a day or two after we recorded, and it really did change the paradigm a little bit because, you know, with, with Ronaldo out, with McKinney out, which really disrupts the midfield depth, that, that's a depleted squad going in. And, you know, Chiellini out now, most likely until after the next international break, it's going to take some work to get a result out of this match. And to to steal Chucks' pessimism, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking, I'm not necessarily expecting much out of this one, to be totally honest with you. Yes, enter the darkness. Embrace the darkness. Yes. Um, <laughs> they no, they have conditions. <laughs>
0: darkness is the heart's true essence. Uh, if someone can tell me from what game that is. I would be very impressed. No, actually, uh, I'm slightly ish more optimistic, just because I did read. I didn't watch the Barcelona uh, Friends Varos game. I, I don't know. I'm showing off. Now. I don't know. I don't know if that even makes sense, but. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did read uh, some of the commentary and the match analysis of that game. Uh, and I heard that Barca were, were a little shaky, actually, against uh, against that team. I heard that, I think they, at 2-1 or 3-1 at a point, uh, they hit the bar of hands They hit the bar once or twice, I think. And basically, they were close to equalizing. And they really did did give them a bit of a scare and then, you know, they scored 3-1, 4-1, 5 and yeah, well, that it was over. And of course that penalty that, you know, was given away that PK was forced into, that was another threatening moment. So, you know, I heard that they really did give away some threatening, a lot of opportunities to uh, to Favos. And, you know, I think, plus the fact that PK is suspended, that's, you know, another thing there. And at the end of the day, like I said, I think two episodes ago or so, these are two teams in transition, and given that they're you know, Juventus and Barcelona, and that just means that it's really quite unpredictable. We still don't really know what Juve's, or well, what Pirlo's best 11 is, and what Pirlo's best system is, and I'm pretty sure that Kuman doesn't know the same thing with his team at this point. So I think just with that unpredictability, with that uncertainty, it's just, it's, I mean, it's a toss-up, really. And I personally, I don't expect Ronaldo to make it. I don't, you know, like I said, I haven't heard anything either from the news, and I, I think it would be an extraordinarily tight squeeze uh, if he could, you know, if he were to make it. And I I know, I, I don't expect him to make it. However, on the, on the point of Dybala, though, so I'm thinking, okay, if he starts, who's going to have to be dropped then? Because Chiesa's suspended for the Serie A game, so then... Is Pirlo then, in, a, in the spirit of rotation, going to play Chiesa in a Champions League? And then, obviously, he's, he's, not, he's suspended for the CAI game, so then play Dybala against uh, Hellas Verona. But then, or does he just, you know, leave Chiesa for a Champions League game after he was very impressive in his two games that he's played so far? Plus, I mean, who do you drop, you know? If you put in Dybala, who do you drop? to still maintain balance, defensive and offensive balance. I mean, you you can't really drop Morata because that just, I mean, then you're playing a false nine. And I mean, I don't know, unless he he finds that an efficient system to play. So I'm just struggling to think like, okay, if he plays Dybala, like who does he drop then? So I, I, frankly, I have no idea. But nevertheless, I'm, you know, I I just think that obviously Barca are there for the taking, but Juve sort of are there for the taking as well, just because of, you know, the transition that both of us are going through. And of course, shocker, Chiellini's injured, but um, I heard it was not as serious an injury as first fear, but I personally, I'm starting to fear for his career in general.
2: Yeah. I actually have to amend my, my own statement because I did, I was just looking, clicking through some news and it looks like he's only, he might only be out for about two weeks, which was, which is different than the last thing that I read before then. But I, I'm like you, I, I kind of think if it, if things continue this way, where he you know plays a game a, a game or two and then has to spend a couple of weeks recovering, I I think he might he's he's a smart enough man to know when the game is up, and I think he might start thinking about moving on at the end of this season if this keeps up. I kind of hope he does because he'd go out with a lot more dignity that way.
3: Yeah, I, I mentioned it in in today's article that just went up, actually. Yeah, I, I think at this point, as much as we we don't like to admit it, just because he's been such a big part of of, of the club for so long, but I think officially it's time to kind of like stop really relying on Kilini you know, because we all know that when he's fit, he's really good, but that has been like he's almost never fit, so that's a problem. But at this point, I think you have to, I think you have to realistically look at it and say, look, we're gonna go into a season with. Bonucci, Demiral, and Delikt, and those are going to be your guys. And if Kehlini can give us some, you know, games here and there, that's gravy. But I think at this point, those are kind of like your three center backs that are going to be like the the, the ones that really are going to, you know, be the anchor of the, the defense going forward. But you know, go, going back to the Barcelona game, here here's the thing. Shocker! I'm I'm actually quite optimistic because I do. I agree 100% with Chucks. I did see parts of the game with uh, against Frank Bars, and they were they were honestly pretty susceptible. Like, they were not the first 20 minutes or so. Obviously, Barcelona is a better team, but it wasn't like they were just steamrolling them. Like, Ch- like Chuck said, they had a few chances throughout the game. Obviously, they, they go down, and then, you know, the, the floodgates kind of break open. But I, it wasn't super impressive to me what I saw from from Barcelona, especially against arguably, not arguably, the actual weakest team in the group. I think Juventus looked better against Kiev than than Barcelona looked against Frank Paris at times, despite the final scoreline. Not only that, but actually lost against uh, Getafe, which is, again, not really a powerhouse during the weekend. At this moment, as we speak, if you're a betting man, Juventus is favored, slightly favored over Barcelona. So, I mean... I, I don't think it's out of the question to expect a win. I wouldn't bet on it, actually. I wouldn't bet on it. I'm not sure it's going to happen, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it did because, you know, both teams are in transition. You know, they they're, they both ca- ha, kind of have weak spots, but the latest we have seen of each team, I'd be a little bit more, you know, optimistic about Juventus' probabilities to, to get a win in this game. And... They're at home. So I mean, they should they should go for the win because they are at home just because of that. So I don't know. I, I think I'm pretty optimistic. Piquet's out. You know, I mean, we can everyone has their take about Piquet, about whether or not it's actually better for Barcelona not to have them and all of that. But I mean, he's still their you know, their starting center back, their leader in that defense. I mean, I think, you know, whatever your opinion of the guy is, he the, the team is probably better with him. So I I yeah, I I think they if I had to make a prediction, I think they're going to win. I hope they win. I think they have a good chance of winning, especially with how the team is is playing right now and if they somehow get Cristiano Ronaldo back, that's going to be huge. So, especially for for the comment section and for, you know, the overall football Twitter world that is going to get another Messi Ronaldo showdown. So that that's I actually do. I feel weirdly more confident going into this game after what we saw against Kiev than
1: you
0: know before before the game on on Tuesday.
1: Don't turn our comments section into craziness again, Sergio.
0: Yeah, we've already had enough of that uh, lately, haven't we?
3: Um... <laughs> oh, I will. I will. I you know the, the the my article is just gonna be like, who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? is just gonna be yeah. that. for oh, I me. Mean. Yeah, well, you'd
2: better be picking up your slack on the mod on mob duty then
1: you're gonna be you're gonna be handing out the punishment that day
2: i had no idea i I could do
0: that to be honest like
3: i I had no idea that was something (laughs) lucky lucky you
0: i mean if people were as passionate about like i don't know global warming or something as they are about you know
2: ignorance is bliss right (laughs) yeah i was just like watching
3: the comments i was like oh that's nuts okay and i was just crawled past because I, i had no idea that i could do anything about it so
1: Shall we jump into our hordes of Twitter questions, gentlemen? Guide us.
0: Cool.
1: All right. As I promised on the Twitter machine when we first got a few questions from at Luca Charms, Sergio, is it possible that the orange kits are good, actually?
3: No, actually. Um, <laughs> it, here's what I'll say about the, the orange kits. and And this is a trend. This is just a theory of mine. I have nothing to back this up, but I think that As a whole, like for Adidas, the strategy this year was to have like the third kit to be like a a more like a kit that is designed to be worn, like not on the pitch, like for fans to buy it and use it like in the street with like a pair of jeans or something. Like, because when you look at them individually and you think of them like, oh, I could use that with like, I don't know, like a jacket or something and wear it out on the street to a bar it it makes more sense to me especially like the Man United kids and the Arsenal kids and all, all the third kids from Adidas that is my theory and if you think about it that way it's kind of not that bad but since we're not talking about it that way and we're just thinking about like how they look on the pitch they look awful it looks like Juventus is celebrating Halloween every single day and right now it kind of flies because it is October but you know, once they start wearing them in like February, it's just, it's going to look even worse. I it, it, I still hate them. I will still get it when it's like 15 bucks in the clearance rack though. I, I will do that. That is going to happen.
2: It's it's better on the field than it is, than it looked in the mock-ups. But, but unlike the primary kit, that's not saying much in this case. Like the primary yeah, exactly. kit actually looked, like I hated the mock-ups for it, but it actually looks really good. This one, the mock-ups were awful. This one, slightly less awful.
3: <laughs> Honestly, maybe if they didn't go with the full orange look, it might be better. Like it just—they look like pumpkins out there, and it's just—it's—it's it's a bummer, and especially with how cool the away kit is. And they haven't—like I don't think they've—they've they've used it yet during the season. And that one is so cool. Like that one is so clean. Like it looks awesome, and they go out and trot out the orange thing like i don't i don't get it but yeah to, to summarize no that they still they're, they're <laughs> terrible i
1: i will say this the sneaker sneaker had a part of my brain as you mentioned sergio it's it's something to do with off the field and the third kit definitely matches the juventus branded adidas ultra boosts that they have which are orange and black so as you mentioned it's it's definitely something more i would assume more for the off the field yeah, like oh, fan
3: for the fans to wear. I, I think I think that's what they sh- were going
2: for. It okay. sure is heck better than this like designer one time only kit that that has been popping up that they're gonna use. I don't know when, like the the it's washed out watercolor right. of the old pink Jeep kit that's for that Pharrell Williams has put out. That like it's like the the ans- this year's answer to the Palace kits from last year that were actually kind of cool. This one looks like a child spilled water on a watercolor painting, and it's like. I'm
3: assuming that one, like they're not gonna wear that on the pitch. Like, I mean, they 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 use it. They're just gonna like sell it for like for you to wear in the streets. Who that? I don't know if I would use it in, on the streets, but I mean, I think that's the. No, they they I mean, and they wore the palace kit last year. Yeah, but the palace kit was like. Normal, I mean, like that, that kind of looked like a kid, like a normal kid. I don't know if they, they'd wear this one, but yeah, it, it's terrible. By the way, that one's terrible. <laughs> also. So, yeah. I mean, it's awesome. in case anyone wants to ask that question later on, that one, that one sucks too.
1: That's coming from a man who spent a lot of his quarantine assembling a collection of not so great kits, correct? <sighs>
3: Obscure weird kits for mostly <laughs> defunct teams or close to defunct teams. Yes. You have one of uh, Ferencvaros. <laughs> hey, if anyone has the link up, I, I definitely buy one from <laughs> Ferencvaros. No problem.
1: <laughs> from at link av capital, who is your most surprising player so far? And who is your most disappointing player so far?
2: Most surprising has to be Danilo. Uh,
1: second, second that.
2: <laughs> like, did anybody think that Danilo would turn out to be like a an ace level back three center back through the first five games of the year? As for most disappointing, um, it's hard to it's hard to say right now because there's just there's there hasn't been a whole ton of of really awful like like a a string of really really awful real awfulness yet if you want to say i mean maybe you could say it's just the the fact that dibala hasn't been fit enough to make the field yet has been disappointing but other than that I, i i don't I, I personally don't th- really have one player yet that is a a huge letdown at this point in the season for me. That'll change. <laughs> but, yeah, right now I can't really think of anybody that I would really point the finger at in that way.
0: Yeah, second that. I mean, I 100% second the uh, Danilo assessment. is just been extremely, extremely surprising. I mean, I think we were all... I think most of us have kind of put in thrown in the towel with him, but I mean, he's he's good. He's been very good as a right center back, kind of, uh, yeah, just kind of in a Liefsteiner type of way of being actually a right back, but then being still very good at center back and being able to slide out of that right center back into right back as needed during the game and really giving you that tactical flexibility uh, to do so. Um, I really wonder what, what has been behind just that positive run for him? I mean, it's just interesting. I wonder what tactically helped from being not just a right center back, but then being in a three-man back line. What about that tactically suited him so much and like just brought out such good performances in him? I, I truly, I don't know. I, I really, I have no idea, but whatever it is, it's worked perfectly. Uh, So far, so far, of course. In terms of the most disappointing, I guess by virtue of his absence, uh, or apparent absence, uh, Federico Bernadeschi. I think he's suffered quite the, uh, well, unfortunate fall from grace. Uh, It's a real, real shame. But I still believe he's got something. I still believe he has some use to this team, but he's running out of time.
3: Get get you someone that believes in Bernardeski as much as Chuck still believes in him because I I, I I'm, I'm this love ain't for
0: free man this love ain't for, for free, sure man <laughs> I, I I'm just
3: as much as I want to believe like like Chuck's does I, like I, I think I'm I'm out I'm, I'm leaving that island but yeah just, just to reiterate I agree one hundred percent with everything you guys said about Danilo and disappointing I I just. I am kind of disappointed in Adrian Rabiot so far. Not because he has been terrible, because he hasn't. He's been okay. But considering like the performances he was putting, like at the end of last season, I really thought he would kind of like hit the ground running and kind of like keep up those performances and really be kind of like that that linchpin in the midfield. That hasn't quite happened. Again, he hasn't been bad. He definitely hasn't been bad, but. I don't think it's been as good as, I, as we expected him to be. And, and that'd be my mild disappointment. Outside of that, I agree with, with all of the things you said. I, you know So far, nothing has been really outright terrible.
1: From at DJ Abides, there is something very inspired about Kiesa's play that I do not see in many others on the squad. Sure, we're only two games in, but things seem very hopeful. What are your initial thoughts on how he will influence the attack and the team overall. We're having fun yeah. with small sample sizes today, by the way, folks, <laughs> fun with small sample sizes.
0: Yeah, true. It reminds me of something I read from a uh, um, book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, the uh, Nobel Prize winner. He said uh, something about him and Emil Tversky, his uh, well, late uh, research partner, he said, uh, too many people believe in the law of small numbers, which is the erroneous belief that the law of large numbers applies to small numbers as well. So I thought that was a clever little way of putting it. No, I think Chiesa brings just a real directness, in, like a verticality in his type of play. I mean, he just takes players on. He's kind of like, <laughs> he's just... I mean, him and Kulusevsky are are like, bring that kind of directness and Kulusevsky brings more that, I mean, he's a bigger lad and he's just a stockier guy. So, you know, he has that physicality in in addition to his directness. But I think that's really just the thing. Like when I, when I look at those two players, but Kiesa especially, it's just that real directness. Like he, he will take players on, you know, someone like Dybala will try and like, you know, pass around or like a little flick here and there which is obviously useful but it's useful to have that variety of attacking options to have you know foot on the ball playmaker to have a actual number nine a center forward and to have a player out and out winger that will direct just take players on uh, directly I think Douglas Costa was kind of supposed to be that type of player as well I I think he was but I mean I mean I he just couldn't stay fit. I mean, he just couldn't stay fit. That's really, that's just, just the issue there. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic about Chiesa And uh, so far, so good. I mean, two really good games. And I mean, yeah, an unfortunate red card, I think. That, yeah, an unfortunate red card. But yeah, I think he gives Pirlo just a range of options, a variety of options in attack. That, that adds a dimension of unpredictability uh, to the team. So, you know, yeah, you have one player player that can take people on, one that can run them behind, one that can play the through ball, one that can finish it. So um, yeah, I mean, that's a good diversity of skills there.
2: I'm kind of surprised at how well he seems to be taking to the wingback spots. It wasn't quite something that I was expecting, but he's turned in some really good performances, not like the most skilled of defenders, but he's got the energy there to make up for it. And, you know, when he bombs forward and and gets the ball in, like that cross to to Morata for the goal against Scrotone was a peach. Just one first touch bullet across for Morata to just tap home. If he does more of that and a little less of the kind of dancing around On the wing that we saw towards the end of the Kiev game, when he started getting a little too cute, there'll be some really good service coming out of whichever side he's on. As long as he doesn't start messing up defensively, I think that that's a really, really good spot for him all of a sudden, which is a bit of a surprise for me, and I'm happy I'm wrong on that one.
1: From at Jabari underscore Samuel, with a fully fit squad and with all the tinkering in defense – is Bunucci still a starter once Delict is back and Demerol or as they refer to him the Turkish wall continue to progress and let us say the caveat as Sergio likes to say very much has to do with Giorgio Achilles health I would assume
3: yeah I think it has to do with, with killing himself because you know if, if he's out you know right now it's like like you mentioned two weeks but I mean that's going to keep happening unfortunately I think that's 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 the point in his career he's currently at, but I I, I, I still think Bonucci has a spot because has to be kind of like the anchor of this defense and and it doesn't he's the veteran presence he's the guy who knows how to play in that kind of like three man backline type of set and most importantly he's kind of like the only one that's that ball playing center back that the Licht and them at this point in their career are just not you know we don't know if they're going to develop like that maybe later on but at this point in their career they're not kind of like that center back that can go with the ball on their feet and, and make a play and kind of like open up the, the rival that way they're just not that right now and, and if Pirlo is going to keep playing that three man back line I think you, you still need to have a guy like like Bonucci there kind of like anchoring that line now with that being said if, you know, by whatever it is, they end up being in another, you know, in another lineup, they end up doing another setup, then who knows, right? And and Bonucci, at this point, he's a 34-year-old guy, you know, with with, Dem- with Demiral and the least like, nipping at, at the heels of the veterans. I mean, you have to assume his cycle is, you know, it's kind of like on their last, last, last breath there. But definitely, I think at least for this season, I think Bonucci will still be kind of like a like the the number one center back option unless something drastically changes
2: i think that it's an interesting question as to what do you do with danilo if he keeps playing at this level in that back 3 and then delict gets back does he you know do you move him back out to the to the wing back spots and he becomes depth there or do you leave him where he is where he's playing really well and it really you know, I said, I think I said this in my match recap. I, I know I said this in my match recap. When the starting lineup came out and I realized that Giorgio Chiellini was playing in the center of the back three, as opposed to where Bonucci always has been, that was a bit of a surprise to me. And as much as it, as much as it definitely had a tactical uh, component, because it meant that you know, switching into that back that four four two that they would switch into in defense was a lot easier with Danilo on the left. Then he could slot right into the back roll and Quadrado could drop back in. Danny, you were, you know we we had mentioned that you know that little move he likes to do that never works when people are coming through the middle. The you know it it made me start wondering if Pirlo also wanted something not that in the the center of that back of the of the line if you're defending a counter or something like that yeah cuz cuz he he certainly has Benucci certainly has not been he, he certainly hasn't been particularly strong in that center that center position so far this year you know there've been a couple of plays where he you just look at him and it's just timid i, I wonder about that I wonder if there was a bit of, that was a bit of a reaction to Bonucci's performance. And like I said, if Danilo keeps on playing like this, it's going to be hard to drop him.
1: From at Nico underscore Diamato, do you think that any three of Chiesa, Ronaldo, Dybala, and Kulusevsky can coexist on the pitch together? They all seem to demand too much of the ball, even just with Kulusevsky and Chiesa has seemed to overwhelm.
3: I think at least for Pirlo, that's going to be a big, big question. And, and you know, Chiesa being able to to play on the left as he played against Kiev, it, it really does open up a lot more possibilities because once the signing of a Chiesa was complete, we all assumed he was going to be lining up on the right. If he can line up on the left and actually do a good job there, that kind of opens up a little bit what they can do and, and they could kind of fit in Chiesa on the left with Ronaldo, Dybala, and Kulusevsky in whatever, you know, order, kind of like free-flowing form you want, uh, you know, leading the attack, if they can somehow manage to do that. But again, we're we're making a lot of assumptions because we don't know if Ronaldo is going to be able to play up top. He has always kind of like rather play on the wing. Are, is he actually going to play up front, which a lot of people have been clamoring for him to do at this point in his career? Can you... Do that without an actual like out and out number nine. You know, Morata doesn't really fit that lineup. And and can Kulusevsky really be productive like in that hole in that number 10 spot? Can Dibala be effective as a second striker? I think he can, but you know, he hasn't really played all that much at that position since he probably came to Juventus a few years ago now. So th- there's a lot of things in the air, and right now, especially with the way Pirlo has been playing, which has been overall pretty like free flowing not really like the, the positions are not like set in stones I, I'm assuming he's going to want to try to fit in as much talent as he can on the field but it, if he can somehow manage to fit in all of those guys and maybe fit in uh, a Juan Cuadrado on the right maybe or if Federico he has his you know career revival as Chucks is opening on the right you know maybe you know you have so much talent on the field it's going to be really really cool and interesting to see but you know that's going to be it if he can do that and if he can do that effectively then that that changes the whole outlook of the season I think but in my opinion that's going to be the the biggest challenge for Peter how to fit all the pieces he has in a way that makes sense that doesn't lose his balance that doesn't lose balance in the squad and that overall works and I think that's going to be his biggest challenge for the season
0: yeah I think this is really a a question of just it's frankly a question of temptation for Pirlo like is he going to be tempted to squeeze in I think I said this after the second the Roma game I think it was how much is he going to be able to resist the temptation to just Throw all your best pieces onto the pitch, and then just kind of say, "Okay, let me just put him there and there and there." You know, I'll put Juan Cuadrado on the left, and then I can put Kuliszewski on the right, and then I can put uh, you know Morata and Rodal like resisting that temptation to try and put all your best players on the pitch at the same time, and rather just accomplishing balance. So having a player that a player or two that can take uh, people on directly. Okay, and then another one that can run in behind the defense and then another one that can like actually finish the play like Morata and a foot on the ball player maker. But then also obviously two central midfielders that actually kind of keep things tight. So it's really going to be just about the balance. And I I really hope that Birlo is not going to be like, well, you know what? I have all this talent. Let me just throw them all on and tell them to figure it out. I mean, that will be, A, very anarchic, and B, just, I think, indisciplined and just imbalanced. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, it remains to be seen. I mean, who knows? And plus, I think with so many games, that given that we're playing so many games, I just think you want to rotate anyway. I mean, you know, we have like, what, six, seven games in the next month anyway, so you want to rotate anyway. So, uh, yeah, let's see what he does, you know?
2: It's, it's reminded me a little bit, of the um, kind of the way that the NBA has been trending a little bit with this idea of positionless basketball, especially with guys like Mike Bodenholzer, the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Cause it, cause if you read Pirlo's coaching thesis, he really does kind of, he puts much less importance on what position a player plays and more, more on, you know, where they are on the pitch, what they're doing within within the system. And I think that that's, you know, especially up front is going to be an interesting experiment because I, I do think that, you know, Pierlo's idea is kind, does kind of eschew those traditional, you know, the assigned numbers, the nine, the 10, and it's, it's going to be very interesting to see if, if the, the team, takes that kind of a concept uh, you know it, uh, if i'm not reading this wrong i don't I, obviously i don't think i am but I, if i'm re- if i'm not reading this wrong it, it takes that concept and runs with it or takes that concept and runs into each other like uh we were talking about before in the kiev game in certain points L- like you said sergio if it works oh man that's gonna be fun to watch but th- this is gonna be almost be a bit of an experiment in how the game is played if 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 what I'm thinking Pirlo is is kind of edging towards is what it is what it is it's certainly going to be really interesting to see how they can coexist all at the same time I don't I don't necessarily think that Kulusevsky you can bunch in Kulusevsky as a guy that needs a lot of the ball I mean he only had he had I think fewer than 20 touches in this game, but he was one of the most dangerous guys on the pitch for most of it. Uh, for until he came off,
1: it was 19. I believe you said in in your,
2: yeah, 19. Yeah. 19. he, He, he touched the ball 19 times, but he, you know, he put two shots on goal. He was the direct result of one of the goal of the first goal being scored. But that, that is like you guys said, the, the, the question of the season, how does he get everybody working together? If he does it, this is a team that in, this year and in the years to come is going to go places.
0: You know, kind of as a, as a last thought, uh, it reminds me of uh, when Ancelotti was in charge of Real Madrid and somehow he managed to fit in like essentially three number 10s into one lineup and make it work. I mean, it was one of the most extraordinary. To me, tactically, I thought that was one that of the most exactly, extraordinary. It
2: didn't exactly work. Well, not,
0: but no, but no, that was the year that they won the <laughs> Decima when he it was the year they no. won. No, when Ancelotti, no, I remember he, when he played. Kroos, he played, Gros, he played Gros, James and Isco in one lineup, and then he had two strikers. Up, he played a four-four-two with them. I, I just could swear that that was the year that they won the Decima.
2: No, I, 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 I don't, I don't think so. Because I know that there was the, – the, the first year that James was on Real Madrid was the year that we beat them in the semifinals, and he put James on as a midfielder, and that was a mess if they didn't have Luka Modric on the field, which for, which Modric was hurt during that semifinal, which I think is one of the reasons that Juventus managed to get through in that tie, because there was no more balance once Modric was gone.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they won it with the Sinu then at the helm. I'm pretty sure because – uh, my brother is a real madrid fan and he's pretty annoying about it so i, I think i'm pretty sure that's how it went
0: down <laughs> no hold on no i'm looking at it right now like let's see on yeah they beat real madrid they beat bayern munchen and then yeah and then they beat atletico madrid in the final 4-1 four, four in extra time yeah yeah that was the year that he beat them in second in extra time yeah yeah in 2014 it was yeah he won the decima and then uh, and then Zidane won the other two after that. Yeah, yeah, I was right, man. Yeah, I'm looking on the wiki page right now.
3: Okay. Oh, you were correct. I stand. I stand corrected.
0: Yeah. Yeah, as, as the great Donny Brasco once said, of course I'm right. Wise guy's always right, even when he's wrong, he's right.
1: I never doubted you, Chucks.
0: Yeah, wise guys always right. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll wrap things up here. I want to thank everybody, first and foremost, for their Twitter questions. We got by far, by far, by far, the most amount of questions for any single episode this week. Obviously, people were in a good mood because Juventus winning puts people in a good mood. So thank you very much, everybody, for the Twitter questions. Obviously, we only got to a small portion of them, but I believe we had 23 responses, which I can't remember ever getting half of that. So thank you very much for all of those questions. And hopefully next week we'll have another 20 something because that would mean Juventus beat Barcelona. Anyways, you can follow us on social media at Juventus nation on Twitter and on Facebook. You can like subscribe and rate us on Apple iTunes and Apple podcasts. You can also listen to us on Spotify and Google podcasts. Feel free to leave a review, all that good stuff. Rate us. Give us five stars. Who's our egos? Because they're not big enough already. So for Sam, for Sergio. Love (laughs) us. Love us. For Sam, for Sergio, and for Chucks, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you guys next time.